what what we've seen, Pierre, is that the the engagement spirals. Now, what, why is this? Ultimately, what we are seeing is that you get much more data on your customer, allowing you to build a more personalised approach because you understand how the customer is inter- is interacting with you. There's also an entirely different audience that's engaging with this. So, to give you an idea, we find 50% of the audience engage with at least one of these engines. This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Solutions, the leading iGaming PAM platform with a modular approach, including many benefits like a fast, secure, and scalable API-based platform integrated with all major third-party products and services. Make sure you head over to Pragmatic Solutions and join our smart thinking. This podcast is brought to you by Pragmatic Play, a leading game developer providing player favorites to the most successful brands across the industry. With an award-winning multi-product portfolio of slots, live casino, bingo, virtual sports, and more, Pragmatic Play is powering up new possibilities of play through one single API. Visit pragmaticplay.com and discover your favorite every time. Martin Collins, great to have you back here on the podcast, CBDO of The Great Soft Debate. How are you doing, Martin? I'm doing well, thanks, Pia. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's always a pleasure. You are, as we always say when you come on here, you're one of the OGs of the podcast, Martin. You were here when we did it live, but you reminded me yeah. back in the day. Uh, yeah, I, I, every time I come here now, I ask if it's live because yeah. of those first couple that I know, we did. I know, I know. <laughs> you, were, you were used to it back in the day, my friend. It's, uh, but I do think you are, the, uh, you are possibly the person who's been on the uh, podcast more than anyone. I think you're at, uh, at the lead right now. So. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Heavy title, yeah. We'll need to keep that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lots of pressure on you here now to deliver, Martin. But um, we are discussing uh, to to redefine the North American online gambling experience today through new offers and products that are entering the US market. Obviously, we have uh, our next New York show coming up here now on the 6th and 7th of March, to which uh, Softbet is the uh, headline partner uh, here. And it's been quite uh, interesting because I've been following Softbet for a number of years and I've seen the incredible growth the company has had and now you are taking on the big bear the giant market of North America mm-hmm. so Martin just a first question to you is if we just look at the North American market as it is today um, what are kind of the current issues as you and Softubet uh, sees it and why, why have you decided to uh, enter this market okay well we're, we're talking about North America so let's first of all bring um, regulated Ontario into the, the equation. So in April, we'll launch into Ontario with a, a GV agreement that we have. Um, and we believe that that makes a sensible first step in terms of operating in, in North America. Um, when you go south of the border and you start looking at the states, I think there's sort of two key issues that, that need to be resolved at the moment. Um, one of them is getting ROI from your marketing spend. Um, If you look at New Jersey, there are 28, 29 operators there. And although the market is growing year on year, I think it was 10.9%, 23 into 24, or sorry, 22 into 23, um, it's still, there's still operators being added. Um, And I'm not saying that there's not a market there, absolutely not. Otherwise we wouldn't be entering, entering into the New Jersey market, but it's, incredibly competitive um, and ultimately 
getting the the most ROI from your marketing spend is a key aspect to success. The 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 barriers to entry in terms of cost are far outweigh what you would generally experience in a, a regulated market in Europe. You need to do the market access deal, you need lawyers, um, you need different types of technology like geolocation that isn't pertinent within the, the European market. Um, and all of these things add up. Um, you need to host locally. And ultimately, all of this is eating into your margin. So if you're not getting your optimum return from your marketing spend, then ultimately you're not performing because it's that competitive. So that's the first issue. Um, the second issue for me as well um, is the fact that only six states have iCasino. Um, I think this has been well documented. I believe it, at the moment there's 38 with sports, okay, but only six with casino. So th this creates a problem because obviously sports, there's a level of uncertainty that comes with it. Um, I noticed in the DraftKings report um, the other week that they took quite a hit in terms of sports results because the favourites won in the majority of parlayed matches that they had. So they took quite a big hit on that. So therefore, casino tends to allow you to level that sort of loss out on the sports side. And with it only being on the... Um, only being within six states and we're not seeing the trajectory that we anticipated, then that, that creates some issues as well. Although I think we do have some positive news coming out of states like Maryland, um, Indiana, even maybe Illinois as well, that actually there's there's a possibility in, in, in the big one, New York, right? Everybody's talking about that as well. So, so these are the two main challenges, in, in my opinion, getting the ROI from your marketing spend and making sure that you're competitive. Um, and then the, let's say, the lack of trajectory in terms of iCasino across the, the, the whole country within, not, and again, only being within six states. Right, makes sense, uh, Martin. You mentioned New York here as a possible uh, state uh, for online casino. We have Joseph Piadabu, the New York State Senator, who is uh, thoroughly pushing uh, for online casino, uh, talking during the conference next uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks. Well, this is the thing. These big states have such a deficit at the moment that they need to find revenue from somewhere. So it makes sense for them to be looking at this. But as an industry, and I mean online in particular, we need to take more responsibility for lobbying correctly. I think um, you and I have discussed before the potential cannibalization of lottery revenue, but we need to we need to outline that actually it's not a cannibalization, it's an entirely different beast and an entirely different customer. And something that might help prove this is the E&K report from last week that spoke about retail cannibalization. You know, they outlined how actually it's an, a different customer for these retail players and they're they're not cannibalizing the existing customer base. And I think that's similar with regards to lottery. And if that can be proven and it can be delivered professionally and appropriately, then we might see the trajectory to start picking up a little bit. Right, interesting perspective, Martin. And so you mentioned a couple of points uh, here of uh, current issues in the North American market. And how are Softbet looking to address these issues now by entering North America? Okay, so we operate a little bit differently from how other uh, B2B providers might work. What we believe is that we want to create a proof of concept via B2C. Now, right. now some people might turn around and say, well, you know what? I don't want to compete with my B2B provider. And you know what? There's, there's, there's something to be said for that. However, 
if I asked the question, I would say, okay, but what's your biggest concerns or your biggest um, challenges at the moment with your B2B provider? The first one would generally be, you know what? They don't look at things from a B2C perspective. A B2B's objectives are very different from a B2C's objectives. What we're saying at Softabet is, is that we're going to understand your challenges and what you're doing in order to help us to deliver from a B2B perspective. Right. The second thing is, is obviously B2Bs often become bottlenecks for the growth of a B2C. So a B2C might want to um, invest in a particular project, but it doesn't align with a, a B2B's objectives themselves. What we are saying is, is that ultimately, because we understand the challenges in the market again, we will allow you okay, via a dedicated team, via your own team, whatever it may be, to take the product in the direction that you see fit and we will not become that bottleneck. So again, on the basis of the fact that we've gained understanding through the B2C, we're ultimately bringing new value. And th this, is the, this is ultimately the way that we see it, is that if we understand the challenges that you're facing every day with regards to ROI, with regards to conversions, with regards to localization of the product, because even in the States, State by state, the localization can be different with sports and even casino. You have to understand that. But with this knowledge, we can help you achieve your goals as a B2B. Right. So, so essentially, you are not a pure B2B provider. You are looking to enter the market as a B2C with your own products to, uh, to gain kind of market knowledge and to be closer to the customers and to, uh, to get proof of concept. And then you are looking to roll out uh, the products to uh, to your potential B2C customers. That's the idea, right? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at um, every time I speak to um, people about B2B in the States, they point out the obvious thing, that if you look at the top two or three operators in each state, they all have their own technology. Now, yep. I think this is partly to do with the fact that the B2B approach is so broken, <laughs> right? And what we are trying to do is to fix that in order to give a perspective that is very different from all of our competition. Yeah. So that when somebody looks at um, when somebody looks at a, a possibility of a partner, they're looking at somebody that is clued in and understands the challenges that they're facing. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I've I've watched the presentation by Yuri in during G two E last year, mm -hmm. uh, where he talked about the importance of gamification in the uh, in the products and and so on. And I, I know that you're rolling out uh, this uh, mega uh, product of yours that is specifically focusing on the motivational engineering and the gamification mm -hmm. of uh, products. And uh, it looks the, the product looks it, it first and foremost it's incredibly well developed. It looks fantastic. It looks like mm -hmm. you're playing a like a, a, a tier a tier one video game when you're when you're when you're looking at the product, uh, but can you, can you talk more about why gamification is so important in the products? Because um, the trend perhaps is moving somewhat in a different way. You could argue that uh, kind of simplified UX UI experiences are uh, is is what many operators are pushing for, but here we are talking about a more engaging. Um, an in-depth uh, tool and gamification. Can you talk a little bit more about the thesis and the thoughts around uh, this product development? Okay, so MEGA, so Motivational Engineering Gamification Application. It's a mouthful, so let's just, we'll stick with MEGA, MEGA right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just picking up on your, your point there, that's a really interesting point that you make with regards to simplified UI UX, okay, and then something like MEGA. I actually think that they can be that they're not um, they're not in conflict with one another. In fact, if you have both, 
then actually you you would have a a greater ROI with regards to your marketing spend. But I'll come back to that. Yeah. Okay, I'll come back to that. So ultimately what we've seen, and again, this comes down to our, our proof of concept model, right? Because we what we have done is we've taken certain um, themes. So whether it's sports, whether it's casino, whether it's Colossus, whether it's Greece, whether it's Egypt, whatever the theme may be, we've taken several of them and we try to tie that to the brand. So if a brand has a Aztec feel, you'll have an Aztec gamification approach. Um, if you go to Betina, you'll see Colossus, okay, which is all about becoming the, the best sports person, the best sports better, and like in, in rewarding on the basis of your activity. Um, you also have Stadium Builder. So obviously you can build stadiums on the basis of how you interact with the brand. And what, what we've seen, Pierre, is that the the engagement spirals. Now, wh why is this? Ultimately, what we are seeing is that you get much more data on your customer, allowing you to build a more personalized approach because you understand how the customer is, inter is interacting with you. There's also an entirely different audience that's engaging with this. So to give you an idea, if we find 50% of the audience engage with at least one of these engines. Okay, now by engine, what I mean is, is that there's different gamification engines that we have. Some brands have multiple, some only have one, some might have two or three, but 50% of your actives will engage with this gamification. And what happens is, is it, it dramatically increases screen time. So you mentioned Dury speech, and I think the, the key takeaway from that G2E speech was that we're no longer competing with each other. Okay, what we're doing is we're actually competing with the likes of TikTok with Snapfacts, with Instagram, with all of these new um, solutions that are coming out, with these new apps that are coming out, we're competing with these guys outside of the industry because we're competing for screen time. And we see uh, a multiple of four when you have the right gamification and right of, in front of the right audience. So let's take that back to what we were talking about. How does this impact the US? So we go back to our first issue that we spoke about with regards to ROI. Now, What's happening is, and I think it's been well documented, um, MGM spoke a lot about it probably about 18 months ago when they spoke about the proportion of bonusing and promotions that they had to um, deliver to their acquisition customers and also their retained customers. And it, it was ridiculous and they rightly pointed out that this is not sustainable and it's not sustainable even if you're trying to prevent, even if you're trying to establish a market position, it's not sustainable. So the question is how do you get more out of the customers that you've already acquired? And that's by creating a solution. And it can, from, from us, we can deliver bespoke solutions. We can take something off the shelf and rebrand it. Again, it's it's really important that it matches with your audience. And then what happens is is it, it creates a, a level of engagement that ultimately drives your ROI. Now, it's, it, it actually impacts twofold because one, you don't need to spend as much on bonus and promotions, okay, because the customers engage with your brand, okay, which is a good thing as well, given the recent situation with Google and them dropping cookies, because mm. brand equity is going to become an even more important factor moving forward. Um, but secondly, um, it, it also drives them back into the, the, the gambling component of the solution, because once they have, let's say, um, utilised all their coins on the, the gamified piece, they're rewarded for that and 
and brought back into the gambling piece. So it's kind of like a, a cycle that goes on and on. So if you have a, a football Sunday, okay, where everybody sat at home in the States watching the American football, then these guys, what, what, what we would envisage, okay, is that their customers will be engaging with their website for that full period. Because when the game's not on, when it's half time, etc., they'll be with the gamification component and give them a much... Um, give their customers a much stronger feeling about their brand than they ever had previously. So they're not going to be jumping from one brand to the other constantly on the basis of uh, bonus and promotions. It's no longer a race to the bottom. Yeah. So this is what we believe that Mega brings to the table. Do you see any trends in the, um, in the user database here of users uh, who are incredibly keen to uh, participate in these gamification type uh, models and other customers who are just looking to go on the website, place a bit as quick as possible and then leave. Because you, you mentioned that this perhaps is not a niche product that 50% uh, of your users actually do engage uh, mm -hmm. with these models. But um, can you see a, 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 a kind of clear divide there? Can, can you talk a little bit more about uh, who this model caters for? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's casual gaming ultimately, right? This is this is when you get into the real guts of it. Okay, it's casual gaming. If you look at some of our more advanced solutions, it's casual gaming. But at the same token, uh, we are rolling out a, like a, a coin master type scenario at the moment, and uh, whereby you can steal coins from your friends. Right. right now, everybody can uh, enjoys that type of aspect, right? <laughs> um, we also have a monopoly solution. So the the type of gamification will definitely always resonate with a particular audience, yeah. right? So, so there's no question about that, that it will resonate with a particular audience. Now, overall, we are seeing a 50% a fifty engagement peer. Yeah. Um, so if you have if you have 100,000 actives in a month and 50,000 50, of them one way or another will engage with our gamification. But it really, you're asking, is there a defined difference? And I think the answer to that is no. I think it depends upon the audience and the type of gamification that we put in front of that particular customer. Yeah. And ultimately, the engagement that it will drive will, dri it will be driven from the perspective of how that gamification resonates with the particular type of customer. So let's say, for example, that you're a, um, a softer brand. Okay, let's say that you're a softer brand, then running with something a little bit harder on gamification probably won't make any sense. Maybe something Monopoly style would be more interesting for you. Yeah. Okay, but if you are a definite, if you're a hard sports brand, then some of the gamification we have around city, um, Stadium Builder would be really interesting for you. Um, what one of the ideas that we had is that within each jurisdiction, we can create a city builder around the actual country itself. So if you have, um, let's say that you have six or seven cities um, in a particular jurisdiction or um, or country, that when you register, okay, you could automatically get your hometown, right? Yeah. But then as you grow, you um, can add others to your 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 to-do list and then ultimately get rewarded on the basis of them being delivered. So it, it's our job to build solutions that resonate more Okay, but as I said, at the minute, we're seeing about 50%. So it's, it's maybe not as scientific an answer as you would like, <laughs> but I think that, I, I genuinely think that the um, the pertinence of the 
content itself of the gamification content will determine how successful it is. So that's a really important choice yeah. when you're going through that process. What gamification do you want? And and listen, from what the feedback that we've had already from some customers, some customers just want one that they think will resonate with their brand and their audience, but some want all the gamification features so that they can pick up as much as possible. It determ is determined by your strategy ultimately. Yeah. And um, you mentioned there are other features on the way as well, stealing mm -hmm. coins and yes. uh, from other actual players. So th this mm -hmm. brings in a little bit of discussion around the social factor around these um, uh, type of products. And, you know, the online gambling experience has inherently been a, a very lonely experience. You, uh, it's you and the screen and, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and that's it. Whereas uh, recently several companies are propping up that are focusing on the social aspect and to bring that into our industry as well. Obviously, we saw live spins being acquired by Evolution uh, here a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Good friends of ours that uh, that had a good day that day. Um, I saw him on my flight back from ice. He looked delighted with himself. They, yeah. <laughs> they were flying at the front of the plane. Yes. They were indeed. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, so my question to you as well then, um, Martin, is uh, how important is the social component, uh, do you think, moving forward when you are developing this? Uh, so, so, so I think with your traditional sports better, what I mean by traditional sports better is your 35 to 55 year old guy um, who sat in the house trying to um, bet on his favourite sports team, you know, watching the game whilst he goes, uh, the social aspect to that individual probably isn't as pertinent as to the new wave of customers that are mm -hmm. coming through. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is because that individual isn't socially native. I'm not socially native. Maybe, maybe you are. Maybe you just picked it up here. I'm not sure, <laughs> right? But, I don't know. Um, but this new audience that's coming through are socially native and they expect to have these solutions. If you go to any e-commerce site, if you go to any travel site, they have these aspects. They have gamification. They have elements of of this. Now, it's relatively simple. Okay, maybe not as um, developed as what, what we've put together, but it's it's definitely it's it's a par for the course across all other verticals within online at the moment, and that's to cater for for these socially native individuals. It's funny that I actually heard the other day that we're not allowed to call it social media anymore because it's actually just media. <laughs> <laughs> I think I always call that's it social media, yeah, but yeah. but the point being is that these solutions cater for this new audience, and that's where ultimately the growth sits. So it's definitely working with a new audience and giving new data points for all of your customer base. But you always have your exceptions as well. You have your 60-year-old guy that absolutely adores these types of things. So, um, but yeah, I think ultimately it's catering for a new audience. Right, right. And, you know, we are talking about kind of redefining the North, North American online gaming experience through mm -hmm. these new products that are quite different from what you can expect today uh, from a tier one operator in the US uh, if you want to place a bet or, or, or gamble mm -hmm. online. And so um, the question is, like, is the, are these products targeting kind of disruptor brands in the marketing that are trying to do things differently than the incumbents? Or do you think that there's also space for the incumbents to... Uh, Kind of take a leap of faith and uh, and try something different. Okay, so no nobody is performing in the U.S. market the way they would like. Okay, in terms of making cold hard cash, I think that's that, that we just need to put that out there, right? So as right. as a consequence, this is a functionality that will allow you to drive more value within your overall investment. Um, 
So in answer to your question, I mean, you mentioned income, you mentioned the Challenger brands. So I saw an article last week uh, by Peter Eckmark at Playstar, and he was talking about gamification. Um, and he spoke about how uh, he managed to drive more value from his customer base and get more value from his marketing spend with things like tournaments and rewards. Um, and this is the type of thing that ultimately we are we we have at our disposal. Um, I believe it's a little bit more advanced in terms of the type of engagement that you'll get from the customer, given the casual gaming element that we're talking about. But ultimately, the, the situation is this, that, that, that this, is, this will resonate with any customer base, any audience, as long as it's built properly with that audience in mind. So if you are a Fangio, if you're a DraftKings, if you're an MGM, and you want to get more ROI from your uh, marketing spend, um, sorry to quote uh, Jason Robbins again, but for the, for the first time ever in the report that they brought out the other week, he didn't just mention acquisition, okay? He was talking about the uplift in performance and he spoke about increased acquisition, but he also talked about retention and engagement. So this is at the forefront of everybody's mind. I mean, they, they've gone, they bought Jackpocket Jack last week. Right, right now, this is, a, this is a softer product. Okay, it's a different audience. Right, so it's it's clear to me that in, in order for them to be, to start to be profitable and start to be EBITDA positive and cash flow positive, that they need to start thinking about things in different ways. And I can see it coming out of the, the press releases and the types of businesses that they're buying. Now imagine that you have a product that ultimately makes sure, well, impacts the customer's willingness to go to another brand and stay with you. This is ultimately what we're saying, Pierre. That's what it does. I'm not saying it will never happen. Of course it will, right? But what I'm saying is, is it drives better engagement with your brand. And that's becoming even more important the way that online, the way that the industry, the way that the whole US ecosystem is is evolving. Right, right. I'm curious to know as well, uh, Martin, you know, you're the CBDO of SoftBet mm -hmm. and uh, you are leading the uh, commercial charge into the North American market now. It's a, it's a crowded space. There's um, many suppliers fighting for not that many operators. Mm -hmm. um, how how do you plan to kind of bring Softbet into the limelight in the North American market? How do you get through with your message to the operators that are um, that are perhaps um, functioning a little bit differently in the US to, to the to the European market? It's, it's very different, and it's, it's a good question, Pierre. That how do you create a um, a USP? Um, around our organisation, that's ultimately what you're asking me. And I think if you went to my team um, and you said, okay, what are we doing differently about this situation? You will get a categorical answer, I hope. I definitely hope, right? <laughs> but I think you would get a categorical answer that we work in terms of ICPs, so ideal customer profiles. If every customer isn't our ideal customer, Pierre, and we are not ideal for every potential customer that comes in. So what we do is we create very specific profiles, two, three max, that ultimately would be a perfect customer for, for us. And what we're thinking about when we say ideal customer profile is where we can bring value and we, where we can show an upturn, where we can move the dial on behalf of that customer. That's really what we are focusing on. And you're right that there is a, 
a saturation against the opportunity at the moment. But that's partly to do with the fact that iCasino hasn't opened up, which I'm sure we'll come back to, right? That's um, The fact that iCasino's only in six states means that the opportunity is, is a little bit less than anticipated in 2018 when it was when it was spoken about. So so that's part of the factor. But um, yes, we have a platform. Yes, we're going to launch B2C. But genuinely, the opportunity for us lies with Mega. That's where the opportunity lies. Um, we see us having a drastic impact on people's performance in particular states operators performance in particular states we see is impacting that very positively given the data that we have to hand um so that that's really our usp going into the market yeah right and on the uh, on the b2c front so you are mm -hmm. launching a b2c operation as well to uh, uh, to produce uh, proof of concept but in order to produce proof of concept you also need players right yes and uh same thing on the b2c front it's uh it's a difficult and expensive market to operate in mm -hmm. um how how do you see what ambitions do you have with the B two C operation? Is it purely proof of concept? Are you also looking to build liquidity and uh, perhaps perhaps uh, there's some there's some positive turnover on the B two C front? And we, what's what's the strategy today? We one hundred percent don't believe in loss leading products. Okay, <laughs> whether it's B two B or B two C, nobody believes in that, right? Um, yeah. Often, if I hear that in a meeting, I'm perplexed a little bit. So it's not a case of going into the market and and having this in order to grow B2B, it's, it, it will be a concern in itself within New Jersey and we will drive it in order to make cash. But the reason that we're doing that, again, going back to the original point, is so that we understand the challenges that yeah. our potential customers are facing. So we know traffic. I think if I think if you if you went round the whole of um, the industry and said what is Softabet best known for is understanding of traffic. We understand traffic. We know how to gain good traffic and we understand how to convert good traffic so but we've never operated in the states before so this could be a different scenario right. so we need to understand the partners we need to understand um how we drive it through mobile apps you know mobile apps are still more important it's resonating in europe now but it's still more important in uh, states like new jersey than it is in the majority of europe so these are things that we're going to have to learn so in answer to your question, no, it's not a um, going to be a loss leading project. Okay, it's more about identifying um, the challenges, but at the same time trying to generate some revenue from it. I mean, that's ultimately why we're all here, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you, you would hope so, at least uh, yeah. in a long time. Uh, and so, Martin, when you look forward now into the North American markets, uh, okay. if you were to make some predictions in the next uh, couple of years for uh -huh. the North American market. Um, what would be your expectation uh, now? Do you, do you see potentially that we are just uh, behind like a ketchup type effect and more states will open up for our casino, for example? Do you, how do you envision Softabet uh, taking the, the space in this market? And just in general, what, uh, what predictions do you have for so North I've, America? I've, I've been saying probably for the last um, six to 12 months that I see a second wave coming. Yeah. So, and I genuinely believe that, but I think it is directly tied to the two issues that we've spoken about. I think this is what, is what everybody's looking at, that if Bet365, for example, okay, are going to come into the market and they're going to invest a considerable amount, then they're going to want to see a particular ROI um, before they 
flick, flick the trigger and go with that. Funnily enough, they're also operating very well in Ontario. So that, that's no coincidence, I don't think, right? So, but they need to be able to get a particular ROI and make it worthwhile for them investing into the market because it's a considerable investment. The other issue that we spoke about, casino opening up in other markets. Now, for 365 and other big European brands, let's say, that want to go in there, I think that this is a vital component. Uh, as we spoke about earlier, if you don't have that revenue in order to cover sports results that you have no control over, then you, you could find yourself in trouble. Um, I mean, we saw Kindred pull out, uh, we saw Maxim bet, um, there's been a few others that haven't quite worked out. So it's it's definitely a difficult market, there's no question about that. So I think the conditions need to be right in order for this second wave to happen. And I think it's tied to the ROI and to the casino component. I'm sorry to repeat myself, but yeah. I genuinely Important. think the, uh, these two aspects for me are, are ultimately um, what is going to define the market moving forward. Um, what would I expect to see? I don't think that we're going to see in 24 months, I don't think we're going to see 38 states with iCasino. Yeah. I think it's going to take longer than that. As I said, I, I don't quite think that we had lobbying properly at the moment. I think things are changing. I think I'm seeing improvement for sure. Yeah. The, the E&K report is a perfect example of that, right? Um, but we still need to do better as a, and we probably need to do it as an industry rather than just have... Um, two or three operators driving it you know we need to look at it as a whole and as that opens up um then i think you'll see the second wave coming um but i think it will take probably 24 36 48 months yeah. you know we have massive issues with regards issues we have massive massive challenges with regards to the tribal situation in some of the states like california for example florida i mean these things that have to, these things have to be overcome. If they're not overcome, then it's difficult for a second wave to come through because there's massive risk attached with everything that you're going to do. So I see it being a challenge for the second wave to come, but I, I don't think it's insurmountable. And I genuinely think that there's an appetite for it to happen. Um, and actually, a competitive market is better for everybody, including the consumer. So, yeah, so that that should drive some better ROI as a as a consequence. Exactly. In, in terms of soft a bit, um, I think we will launch into New Jersey uh, Q1, Q2 next year. I think that that's that's the plan. Um, I think that, um, as I said, it's more about a, a proof of concept, although we do want it to be a profitable brand, no <laughs> questions. Um, I think that's really important to hit home. Um, but I think that the mega component is ready now the mega component is ready now we don't need to um wait for any ridiculous integration we simply go onto the vendors list in a particular state which from experience is isn't too laborious a process and then we can roll mega out and it's entirely separate product from our b2c operation and from um our platform situation our, our platform offering so it's a simple api that gives you access to all of the gamification so that's um that's where I see Softabit be most prominent over the coming months and years in the States. Yeah. I think just to follow up on your argument there of um, the second wave eventually coming, mm -hmm. I think you are absolutely right in that, Martin. Uh, and I think if we look at the North American market from the perspective of the um, major players that operate within it, obviously are highly motivated for this uh, second wave to uh, to. Uh, 
to finally hit um, the likes of DraftKings uh, and the other major operators, ESPN, Fanatics, uh, BetMGM, all, all of them, together with the um, kind of bigger uh, umbrella organization under American Gaming Association that represents the entire um, gambling landscape in the US, are very powerful organizations we are talking about, right? And and um, many of the operators are entering a more profitable stage in, in their companies' lives, which perhaps um, eventually will lead them to focus more operational efforts and investment into lobbying efforts, uh, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you would imagine the, uh, the incredibly big price uh, that it would bring a company like DraftKings if a couple of more states would legalize uh, iCasino. Because at the end of the day, it is the casino product that will make these uh, organizations really profitable. It will be a, a level change, right, when you introduce the casino product into more states. Mm -hmm. um, it's already proven through the American Gaming Association that um, uh, that product in itself also generate a lot more taxes for the states than the sports betting product uh, does. Yeah. And in effect, uh, uh, then also more profits to the, to the operators. So I would just imagine that uh, the consortium of players coming together to uh, target their lobbying efforts uh, into more specific, uh, a more specific and, and, and uh, aligned strategy, uh, eventually, you know, whether that takes two years, five years or 10 years, mm -hmm. Uh, eventually, there should uh, be some form of catch-up effect where you would uh, think more so. states uh, follow. It's a cliche, um, Pierre, right, to say that we're stronger together. You know, this is <laughs> going back to the 1960s, right? We're stronger yeah. together, right? But no, you're, you're <laughs> absolutely right. If, if we can come together and we can work together in order to land the right message and this is i think the message has been all wrong in all honesty yeah. is you know you know me traditionally i'm a sales guy right that's where i come from yeah. and my job as a sales guy was always to land the right message with the customer okay and this is the problem that we have with the states in the second wave is that the right message hasn't been landed yeah. and, it, and it's not been a unison message either it's been one thing here one thing there one thing there Let's come together and do it together and we can accelerate this i totally agree with you no questions yeah yeah brilliant and uh, as a final thing yeah, uh, today, Martin, as well, um, I want to talk a little bit more about Softbet as well. I mean, the first time I was exposed to Softbet was the partners event, I think two and a half, uh, three years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, the company at that point was around 500 uh, people strong. And uh, the story that was told there that uh, partner event was like a story of like huge growth. And every time I go to the partner event of Softbet each year, it is a continued story about exponential growth in the organization. And so... I want to just uh, check in with you. Um, what uh, like what have been driving this growth within the company in the last couple of years? You mentioned you are you are sixteen hundred people strong uh, these days. It's a huge company mm -hmm. that is just continuing to grow and grow and grow. Uh, what's the key to success uh, there? Would you say um, is it sustainable moving into the next couple of years? I, th I think genuinely the leadership. Um, the majority of people listening to this will know Uri, and yeah. um, he is positively incessant. Um, right. and he has a incredibly a, passionate no no absolutely and uh, an yeah. eye for detail that you might not anticipate um, he has an eye for detail that really helps you quickly get through bumps in the road that might take longer elsewhere you right. know it, and that, that's the thing when you experience a bump in the road it's dealt with yeah. um, so this leads to growth and I, th I think the, the biggest sort of cultural aspect that i can point to and th this is my own words so if it doesn't make sense then please <laughs> allow me allow me to elaborate but ultimately it's 
the business is opportunity driven. So if something presents itself, um, we look at it, we try and identify the synergies and the, the possibility, and if we agree with it, we run with it. This is and this is this is really important. There's there's obviously a bit of risk um, management in terms of looking at it, but ultimately, if we believe it's um, right for us, if we like the synergies, then we will make it happen, and we'll do everything that we can in order to make that happen. There's never a okay, wait a minute, we can't do that. It's like okay, let's do that, and then let's under understand um, the impact that it's going to have, and then work it into what we're going to deliver, and you know what, we do have a, a big technical team, which is fantastic to have. Um, I talked about delivering customers' dedicated teams, depending upon the scenario, but, but genuinely, if we want to prioritise something, then it can be done, given the sheer mass of, um, of technical talent that we have. So this, this willingness to not um, give up on something because... Um, it might be a challenge is really at the forefront of the success and the growth that Uri and the overall business is, is created. It, it's really incredible. I'm four months in and if you'd asked me four months before, <laughs> if you'd asked me before I'd gone, I, I didn't quite see it like this. Right. But but genuinely, it's a, it's a business that, you know, is, is driven, is enthusiastic. Um, b before we came on air, um, I also mentioned the, the story um, of... Um, the 400 uh, developers and, and staff that were in Ukraine. Yeah, um, yeah tell it. Tell you it know, me. so so prior to 2022, when the when the war um, when the war kicked off in in Ukraine, um, our business was the headquarters was in Kiev, um, and the, the the business was experiencing some issues, not just from a political perspective, but um, corruption, etc., and. Uh, we decided as an organisation that we're going to move absolutely everybody to um, to Cyprus because we wanted to make them feel safer and we wanted to work in an environment where the growth that we, sh we were striving for was achieved. Um, and Uri and the organisation relocated 400 people from Ukraine to Cyprus. Right. Uh, now, that, that, now, in itself, when you just say 400 people, it sounds a lot, but imagine cats, dogs, I've heard about a horse that actually moved as well from oh, yeah, Ukraine yeah. to Cyprus. Um, and the, what you see is, and this is and this is what maybe you don't get in other organisations, is that when you speak to people who were one of those 400, many, the majority of which are still with the business, um, but when you speak to these guys, they're so bought in. You know, you ask any founder or C-level what their biggest challenge is. They will say, getting my team to care as much as I do. Right. This is this has been achieved within Softbit, and it rubs off on everybody else around the organisation. Right. So when you need that person to do that extra hour, they do it because they've already been invested in, and that that just that that in itself is something very unique. I mean, I said to you that I'm always looking for a purpose. Yeah, you know, I went to the um, to the eighth birthday party in Dubai, um, and Oksana, our CMO, delivered this message, this speech around this story. And I instantly said, that's my purpose. I knew exactly right. what it was. I yep. knew exactly what it was. So, Fantastic. so that, that's where it comes from really. And just a funny little anecdote that when, when we moved from, um, Ukraine to Cyprus, um, Cyprus wasn't really built at that time for, for like large office space and a lot of people within one space. Um, so we ended up taking a children's, 
um, play area, but you know, a play area on steroids, you know, over five floors, you know, <laughs> different themes throughout the floor. And when we moved in, we went into one of these rooms in the back and we discovered, I think it was six or seven of the crab machines, you know, to grab the soft toys. Yep. And that's where the idea for cash crab and bonus crab stem yeah, from. Right. So, <laughs> so you know, everything is, is a nice way to finish our, our conversation. I think that, yeah. you know, after Uri doing that for, for the organisation, for all the people, we have something that is really tangible now from that experience that all our customers can take advantage of. So Yeah, it was... Um was a good quote by Mark Cuban during the uh, in the beginning of the um, COVID uh, pandemic, and he said that uh, how organizations act today will define them for the next decade, right? And um, what did some organizations? Uh, how did they act at some uh, at that time? Some organizations choose to immediately cut costs and uh, and um, uh, without much emotion and feeling let go of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Others like uh, like Softbet by the sounds of it. Uh, during the uh, during the during the outbreak of the war, here is similar situation, right? It's uh, they choose to safeguard the employees and they show them their human side first and foremost. Yep. And um, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's uh, it's through that authenticity about proving that the company is more than just an employer where you clock in and clock out. Here you work together and and for the benefit of everyone, it uh, generates some next level purpose uh, for for going into the office and wanting the company to do well i t totally agree and i don't know if you've heard the story of nintendo before pia i don't think so okay so the ceo of nintendo he, he, he died relatively recently a few years ago but he died um and in two th i think it was in 2008 <coughs> or at some other financial crisis and um, obviously they're a publicly listed organization and they came to him the board came to him the shareholders came to him and said okay what are you going to do? Are you going to cut costs and get rid of all these people? And he said, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. And they were like, why? And he said, well, in five years time, when you want growth, okay, these people will no longer be with the organization building the best games in the world. Yeah. So do you want to let them go and take that risk for that time now? And you know what? They backed him, to be fair. Yeah. And he took a, I think he took half a pay cut along with all of his leadership team. And they rode it out for a couple of years and then came back even stronger. So th these, th you know, these you examples, go. these examples of solidarity with, within organizations, it does, it defines them and it gives them longevity. So I 100% agree. Yeah. And I do like uh, you're sporting his Mario, Super Mario hat uh, there as well. I hope we'll see that uh, once again, by the way. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> not so sure about that, as long as I don't get made into a character. <laughs> Martin, it's been fantastic. Uh, I'm looking forward to see you over in New York uh, as well for the next uh, New York Summit here, 6th, 7th of, uh, of March, where we are really excited and happy to have Softbet, of course, as the headline partner to that event. Um, really excited to hear more about the products over at the show. But uh, for now, enjoy the tour that you have in front of you in Latin America, and I'll see you over in the States. No, thank you, Pierre. We're really looking forward to be the headline sponsor there as well, and I'm really looking forward to an excellent event. So thank you, and thanks for today. It's been great. Awesome. Thank you, Martin. Cheers, Pierre. <laughs> Thanks.